it's gratifying in the sense that there there has been change. It's slow, but things are different today. And my sense is that as we get more of these programs, it's the usual thing, success will build on success. Work is central for all of us. And I believe there's a place in the workforce for everyone. Hello, I'm Yumika Anderson Howard, DNI manager at Dwayne Morris. On our Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West episode today, Joe will have an important conversation with our very own Dwayne Morris partner, Michael Burnick, on raising awareness of neurodiversity and creating opportunities for the neurodiverse. Hello, everybody. This is Joseph West. I'm a partner here at Dwayne Morris and the firm's chief diversity and inclusion officer. Uh, very, very happy to have joining us today, Michael Burnick. Michael is a partner uh, at the firm. He's out uh, on the West Coast. I'm going to ask him to get a little bit into his background, his bio, his position at the firm and the work that he does. Uh, and then we will delve into a very, very interesting topic and one that is gaining a lot of currency out there in the ecosystem, uh, not just in the legal sphere, but uh, in the corporate space as well. That's neurodiversity. Uh, Michael, welcome. Good to be here, Joseph. Oh, give us, uh, give us a quick 30-second intro of yourself uh, and what, what you're doing here at Dwayne Morris. Well, I've been in the employment field for over 40 years, um, was head of our um, labor department here in California. And um, here at the firm, I uh, work on part of our employment um, staff, um, employment division, and uh, focus on issues, unemployment insurance, um, and employer taxation, and obviously wage and hour issues. Neurodiversity is uh, I think one of those topics that uh, if, if we were to get into a time machine and uh, sort of project ourselves five, maybe 10 years into the future, uh, it'll be very, very familiar to everyone, I think. Um, maybe not as much to people right now outside of sort of a select uh, group of people for whom the issue matters. Uh, tell us what it is. What, is, what does it mean? Uh, it's very interesting on your point on how things uh, can change. I had, have been involved in the autism community, in the autism field, employment field um, for over 30 years. Started just as a volunteer. I have a son who's 31 now on, um, with autism and started back in the early 1990s. Um, Joe, and at that time, if people knew about autism, they might know about Rain Man. So if you mentioned autism, they might say Rain Man. Now I can't mention it, autism employment, without somebody saying I have a niece, nephew, neighbor, um, some relation. So um, the demographics um, have changed a lot, obviously with the sharp, sharp increase. Now one in most recent uh, estimate, one in 44 uh, children um, and just the public consciousness. So that's changed a lot. Employment. There's been a big push just in the past five years in terms of employment of adults with autism, ADHD, and other learning um, differences. And um, we're beginning to see a lot, lot more activity within this area. Employment. So let's talk first about the increase in awareness just generally, but then 
uh, we'll talk about it in the employment context. What's the reason for the numbers you just cited? Is it that there are more people presenting with autism or on the autism spectrum, or is there greater awareness, a more sophisticated uh, set of tools for diagnosing? What's the reason for the increase? Joe, that's a $64,000 question in our field. Um, I, I think my own view is it's a combination of factors. There is greater awareness, um, additional um, you know, diagnoses, but there's also something going on that we don't fully understand, something going on, a connection of the, what's going on in the environment, triggering genetics that is leading to an increase that goes beyond an increase in awareness or diagnoses. Another question along those lines before we get specifically into the employment context, um, as there has been a, an increase in the numbers, uh, is there or has there been an increase in the number of uh, sort of resources available to address issues for individuals or families who are dealing with, uh, with autism? No question, things have changed dramatically in terms of resources since, as I say, since I first got involved in 1990. Um, the K-12 system, Joe, has changed dramatically. Hmm. Um, there are a lot more resources. In terms of higher education, community colleges, um, universities, um, a lot of change. Um, you know, now it's hard, it, virtually every community college um, and university has some targeted program. What has changed more slowly, and um, again, just it's really just in the past five years, is this employment. And that's really the next frontier. Yeah. Uh, and the most difficult one, the most difficult one. Well, that's a good segue to uh, what we're really here to talk about. And that is this issue of neurodiversity and employment setting. You mentioned that there have been changes, very pronounced changes in this space. Uh, what are those changes and what's brought them about uh, and why should we care about it? Well, uh, I would say the changes are three in three areas. One, there are a, there is a growing number of targeted programs by major firms. And these are programs by Microsoft, SAP, EY, about 30 of major employers in the United States who in the past um, five or six years have launched what are known as neurodiversity at work programs. They're called, there's a neurodiversity at work roundtable of 40 or so firms. Um, SAP was the first really to launch a targeted program like this that's targeted hiring and um, targeted um, even more important than the hiring um, retention, a whole network of supports, um, both coaching and, and culture. So one big change has been this um, very targeted effort among some America, some major employers, and not all of them are part of this neurodiversity at work roundtable, but, but many are. The second area is the increase in government-funded efforts, um, just funding for direct placement um, for workers um, neurodiverse 
neurodiverse workforce. And, and this here in California, for example, we have a sharp, sharp increase in terms of funding for our Department of Rehab and our Department of Developmental Services. We have wage subsidy programs and um, that actually pay up to 100% of wages for a certain number of hours. So that's changed. And the third area is um, there are more and more incentives to businesses uh, in terms of tax incentives and again, uh, wage subsidies to uh, promote this type of employment. So you mentioned a number of companies, they all seemed to be grouped in the uh, tech space. Uh, and of not, course, all. Not, not all, but some. You also mentioned when you talked about available resources, the great state of California, where you're located, which is always yeah. ahead of the curve in, in a lot of ways. Um, do you find that there is a uh, increased awareness outside of the tech sector in the corporate space? Oh. And are, are there resources available in spaces beyond California? Uh, because our listeners will represent a broad swath of subject matter in geographic areas. Uh, we just want to make sure people understand what's, what's happening where they might happen to be. Yes. Um, in terms of the tech field, um, SAP was one of the early leaders. Um, Salesforce has a recent program, VMware. So a number of the major tech firms, but it's not just the tech firms. Mm -hmm. um, Ford has had a program for the last couple of years, very effective program. Um, EY, another major employer. Um, some of the lower tech, Lee Container, um, based in Iowa. Um, Stanley Beckett, Black and Decker. Um, so it's it's started and, and I, in some ways it's still the greater concentration is in tech, but it's spreading to other jobs as it should. Because I can recall, Joe, back in 2013, 2014, there was a real push, a thought that, that, that people with autism in particular had certain tech skills. And there was a Special Eastern and others that thought quality control jobs were the right jobs. Well, it turned out um, that it, for my son and for most people, um, they had no particular tech skills. In fact, I think. I would estimate only 12 to 15% of our autism community uh, adults really have any particular skills in this area. And that's why it's so important that the other jobs also be included. So let's talk then about the practical applications in the workplace. If someone within the sound of our voice right now uh, is at a company and they're just sort of gaining some understanding of these issues, um, why should they care? What benefit, what possible benefit inures to a company, to a corporation, to first of all, gain some understanding and maybe even fluency about issues around neurodiversity, and then at some point down the line, embrace it as something that uh, from a company-wide standpoint, they should gain a greater appreciation for? I mean, good question. Let me make two points on that. One, um, there's a growing literature, Joe, on what are the benefits? And um, it's difficult to quantify, but, but you go and talk to firms that have established programs. Walgreens is one of the oldest programs. Um, and they will always talk about the um, increased attendance, better attendance record, the greater loyalty, and the greater appreciation for the job. Those are the three things you always, always hear from firms. 
So there's that part in terms of what um, work orientation people bring and appreciation. Then there are more specific skills linked to the job. Um, the other reason people should care is to go back to the point I mentioned earlier, I think all of us, it's hard to find anyone today that doesn't have some family, friend, some nexus to the neurodiverse community. I think that's right. You mentioned literature and I think, uh, again, very good segue. I know that you, uh, you not only have uh, personal or family experience with this issue, as you mentioned, but uh, you're a bit of a subject matter expert having literally written a book, if not the book on the topic. Uh, talk a little bit about the book that you wrote. Why'd you write it? And, and what's the focus of it? Well, I did an early book, Joe, in 2015 called The Autism Job Club. And this was just beginning. People were, you know, the autism employment field was just beginning to emerge. The idea of targeted programs, the idea that there might be specific skills and importance on this. And um, then last year, it struck me um, how out of date that book was. Just within five years. I have a new book out, um, just came out last uh, June, called the Autism Full Employment Act, um, that A, tries to bring up to date, you know, what the state of the field is and suggest policy solutions. And it also aims at um, people on the spectrum and, and family members and advocates, what we can do as individuals. So it's not, it's both the collective policies that make sense, but also what we individually, what's the best way to find a job? Um, what are the resources available? Um, what jobs are available? How and what mutual support it's important for all of us in the community to give. So it's a combination of the, the Autism Full Employment Act, combination of collective and individual. Where would you advise someone who's a novice on this particular issue? Where would you advise them to start in order to sort of educate themselves in a way that will prove useful down the line? Well, let me um, address both what people who are family members or individuals can do and then what companies can do. For families and individuals, I, the first principle of autism employment is don't do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. Um, you wanna connect, there's a whole network of government resources, not only in California, but in all states, uh, very usually under voc rehab departments, free of cost. You wanna take advantage of those. Two, you wanna link up with other people in the autism community. Um, I'm part of a group called Ascent here in the Bay Area. It's adults on the spectrum, family members, advocates. And we work together and we have a job club and um, we share ideas and so forth. And it's a, a very good, very good mutual support group. So you wanna do that, you wanna reach out to the resources available um, and to other groups, volunteer groups in the area. And the, the, there are volunteer groups throughout the country. Two, if you're a business, um, A, they can reach out to us, Joe. I yeah. know we're, we have a very active um, knowledge and, and effort in this area. And um, we're willing to share, obviously, we welcome sharing all the information we have. Um, there are also, um, roundtable groups like the neurodiversity at work group. And there are these, the new subsector of neurodiverse workforce intermediaries, which are companies um, founded really to link 
job seekers and companies seeking neurodiverse workers. So they're a combination of efforts, um, both individually and for businesses. Uh, you mentioned they could reach out to us. I will say to uh, anyone in the audience that uh, if you don't know, Dwayne Morris has a very robust diversity consulting group. Uh, Michael is uh, going to be leading the neurodiversity portion of that work. He is a subject matter expert and uh, can provide quite a bit of value uh, to entities uh, looking to gain better knowledge and understanding of these issues and figure out how to make sure that it inures to the benefit of the company, to the bottom line of the company, uh, to have uh, an appreciation for these in a way that makes sense. Um, we, we're gonna wrap up in a couple of minutes, but uh, one or two last questions for you. Um, on this journey that you've been on, you mentioned three or four decades now, uh, what's been the most rewarding part of it and what's been the most challenging part for you? Well, rewarding, I, I think you can actually see some people being placed. It's like everything else. It's not just theory. It's not discussion. Um, I and, and our group ascend and of course here at Dwayne Morris, we actually work on specific programs with specific individuals. And um, it's um, gratifying in the sense that there, there has been change. It's slow, it's much, you know, it's probably too slow, but things are different today than they were not only 30 years ago, but five years ago. And my sense is that as we get more of these programs, it's the usual thing, success will build on success. So that's uh, part of the reason. And then, then I just like people in the, in the autism community. It's, it's sort of the community that I've, I used to be, Joe, some time ago in politics. I've given up all of that now, now that everything I do socially and uh, so forth is concentrated. In the much, much more rewarding crowd than, uh, than the political yeah. crowd. Uh, last, last question for you, Michael. What's, uh, what, does, what does victory look like in this space? You have a magic wand. You could wave that magic wand and the result would be what? The result would be that we expand um, greatly the uh, employment rates, um, which are now um, below 30% for adults, not only with autism, but ADHD and other neurodiverse conditions and um, incorporate um, this population into the workforce because Joe, I believe that um, work is central for all of us. And I believe there's a place in the workforce for everyone. Michael, thank you so much for spending time. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I am always very, very proud of the people that I have the privilege of working with at Dwayne Morris. And uh, you are certainly no exception, my friend. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, Joe.